genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one scared look at a time. I'm Cassandra <laughs> Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. And today we'll be talking about Minute 118, which starts with uh, Saruman saying, you fear to go into those mines, and ends with Gandalf asking Frodo, how's your shoulder? Yes, in what is the beginning of a very sweet scene between the two that was cut from the theatrical, mm-hmm. uh, which is... A fairly large portion of tomorrow. So I have always loved the way that this scene is kind of cut together because the look on Gandalf's face to me has always read almost like he can kind of hear what Saruman is saying. Yeah. Like, I I find it to just be really interestingly put together. Well, I think the scene... Uh, like the the cutaway to Saruman uh, and then the cut back to Gandalf, like that look on Gandalf's face is supposed to be like a split second. Right. Um, and he's just thinking about it. And then what he's thinking about is communicated through what Sauron, or not Sauron, Saruman is telling us Yes. Uh, in his study. I like the way that it's put together. Um, I don't know. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, We see Saruman's journal. It's very effective. Yes. We see Saruman's journal, which is uh, one of the more beautiful props in the movie. It's, um, isn't it Alan Lee's sketchbook? Basically. Like, (laughs) it's basically, Saruman's journal was done by Alan Lee. That was, like, his prop that he made. That's awesome. For for the movie. I hope he got to keep it. I hope so, too. And I really... I don't know if there is one, but if there are prints of that Balrog picture, I would love to have one. Yeah, it's really pretty. I like how stylized his art is. Yes. Um, like John John Howe's art is a little more um, cartoony. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes he can, like, when he's when he's drawing objects, it's not very cartoony. Yeah the um, the the one that I'm thinking of is the. The hobbits hiding from the uh, Black Rider image. Um, But anytime, because the the fresco, the the mural in Rivendell is also Alan Lee. Yes. Right? So I think I like his style a little more. Um, I like the the way the lines just kind of flow together, but they're also, like, especially with the Balrog, it's very flowy, but also very angular at the same time. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. No, I like the uh, the implication of form in that image. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a silhouette. It's not really telling you anything about the creature. Right. And I think that that's really cool. It's very evocative. Well, I mean, shadow and flame. Yeah. Like, that... It shadow and flame don't have a physical form. Yeah. So I like that. I think the drawing is a better representation of the Balrog than the Balrog that we see in a few weeks. Mm. Um, I might be in the 
minority in that, but because I like the Balrog effect, and I know that we're gonna we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I I think that this the picture, this image is a little more evocative than seeing the actual thing moving. Yeah, the the problem is that it's really hard to like build a creature that is made of shadow digitally and not make it look like hokey as all hell. Yeah. Um, oh, you still haven't seen Attack the Block yet, but the way they did the aliens in Attack the Block is what I wish they had done for some of the Balrog. Mm. Um, because the aliens are all practical and they like rotoscoped over it. Freaky. So there's like, they're just like, have you seen a picture of those aliens? Nope. I, I don't want to spoil it for you then, because that movie is amazing. I don't know why I don't own it yet. Um, but they are really, 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 really dark. Um, like, ah, uh, the effect is so good. So, like, my ideal Balrog are those aliens from Attack the Block with, like, like the the fire effect of the Balrog imposed on them. Mm. Um so it's not all digital. They have like a like a, a solid practical base that they're working from. Yeah. Um oh that movie's so good. <laughs> well I mean the the Balrog is a rendered sculpture and then played around with and moved. Right, right. They um and they they based the digital on the sculpture yeah and but like the aliens in attack the block are a guy in a suit yeah running around that's cool on all fours and then they they do the effect over that that's cool um i dig it it's so good but i don't know that alan lee picture is so pretty yes i i really like it he's the one that also does uh the 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 halls of the hall of moria right the the oh, the pillars I'm, and everything I'm or not is sure. that or is that um i know john howe did most of the elven stuff okay so i don't know i don't remember if alan lee did that i think it's alan lee because it's based off that picture of the the fellowship just standing in the middle of this grand hall yeah you know that's um, a miniature too that they just digitally repeated right right ad infinitum or however you want to say that i'm excited to talk about that scene because uh, moria yeah it's so good it's so beautiful but anyway i like long story <laughs> short uh too long didn't read i like this picture <laughs> me too <laughs> is a good picture um I also kind of have a problem with Gandalf as like putting it all on Frodo. Well, Frodo is supposed to be the leader. Right. Um he's the ring bearer. He's the one at the greatest risk. But, so okay. it has to be about like what risks Frodo is willing to take because Frodo even if this is like kind of a of a squeezed moment 
where he's under a lot of pressure to make a quick decision. Mm-hmm. Frodo has never been one to dismiss warnings or advice from Gandalf ever. Right. So the fact that he's willing to take a risk that Gandalf has basically said, no, we should never do that, I think is a big deal. Because Frodo does understand how important it is that they get this done. And he sees that there's no way they're getting over the mountain. Whereas Gandalf is willing to keep trying to push on over Caradrox. Right, like um, Sisyphus. Right. Keep rolling that boulder uphill, Gandalf. You'll get there eventually. (laughs) But, like... I mean, Gandalf is also biased in his assessment here. But he's right. He is right, but he's biased in that he kind of knows that if he goes to Moria, he's going to die. Really? I don't... That's that's the intention of what they're trying to convey, especially in the beginning of the next minute. They're trying to convey that Gandalf has a personal concern with Moria on top of thinking that none of them will be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's correct because Balrogs are a leftover threat from an age where everything was more powerful. Right. But... They're, they're trying to convey this idea that, like, Gandalf knows that if he goes to Moria, he's going to die. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. I always took that this scene more of Gandalf knowing what was at stake, but not really knowing for sure if he was going to die. Like, not really knowing for sure either way. Yeah. Um. Because... Well, we'll talk about it. Yes. Um, when we later. when we talk about the Balrog fight proper, by the time we get there, I'm going to see if I can find some some points of reference from okay. some other works that have to do with Gandalf kind of knowing that he has to be put through this test and has to die in order to gain his full power. Yeah, to level up. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like he kind of he kind of knows where he's got to go. Yeah. In order to make it through this. This is the Balrog is like his first big test in this time. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So there's a couple of a couple of things from the costume department uh, across these oh few minutes. Uh, one of which is that they, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this on Monday, but they the wig department absolutely hated all of this with Caradras because. Every the wigs were wet oh, and clumped in snow every day, every day, and they have day. to clean them oh. every night and get them ready for the next day. That sucks. Every day, and that there was a lot of talk about whether or not they should get some sort of foot covering, whether like, it be like hand wraps, like booties. Yeah, whether like it be booties. like <laughs> hand wraps or little furry boots for the hobbits for the winter scenes. And Peter Jackson was basically just like absolutely not the entire time. They did some concept designs, I guess. And I think it's uh, I think it's Neela Dixon refers to them as uh, Hobbit Uggs, <laughs> little furry boots. Hugs. Aww. Hobbit Uggs. Hugs. Uh, yeah, hugs. Yeah. <laughs> little hugs. Aww. Uh, but Peter was even against the idea of like cloth foot wraps. He was like, absolutely not. The hobbits must be barefoot. That sucks. I don't care if their feet are freezing. It's for. We have, have to, to adhere to this. That's right. <laughs> Hobbits are barefoot. Hobbits don't wear foot protecting stuff. They wear foot coverings. 
Because you have to convey the idea that their feet are tough, so we have to see them in every environment. But, okay. I understand that their feet are tough. But it's one thing to have, like, calluses on your feet, and another another thing to just completely ignore the cold. Yes. And clearly they're not, like, ignoring the cold, because they're, like, freezing. Well, they're in a much colder place than they're used to back in... Back in the Shire. I assume it snows in the Shire, considering that not too far to the north of the Shire is a place that is described on some maps as being full of glaciers. So Yeah, it must. But And hobbits know. just run around the Shire barefoot in the wintertime. Hobbits are barefoot. They don't wear shoes. Yeah, but like I don't know. I am pro Hobbit Uggs. <laughs> pro Hobbit Uggs. Yes. I am I am against the hobbit hug. <laughs> I'm pro hug. Uh, Aw. <laughs> now you just make me sound cruel. <laughs> but I think, like, I don't know. There's a difference between walking around barefoot in the summertime and just not, like, even wrapping your feet up in a shirt. So I had a roommate. Okay. That <laughs> oh god. Okay, so we're in we're in like central Maine. Yeah. I had a roommate in college who never wore shoes. The only feet the, the only footwear he ever wore were Birkenstock sandals. Yeah. And a pair of Birkenstock sandals. In the wintertime, the most he would do is put on socks and put on his sandals. And he always wore shorts. He would put on, like, in the wintertime, he would put on knee-high socks, wear his Birkenstocks, and put on cargo shorts, and that's what he did. Oh my Whether God. there was two feet of snow outside, or it was the middle of summer, sandals, shorts. Middle of a blizzard, shorts, socks, sandals. But sandals are still shoes. Yes. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that the cold was not that big of a factor here. He also apparently didn't care if his, the socks got wet while he was wearing but- them. That's so uncomfortable. <laughs> On these leather sandals? Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but He'll probably fact- never listen to this, but I essentially just called out my old roommate. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, there's a difference between hobbits walking around completely barefoot and hobbits running around with Birkenstocks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even... See, e- but that's only that's only like a... A sole of the foot problem. Like if they're even just wearing like Birkenstocks, they're still just not feeling the cold on their feet. Well, they have the the fuzzy right. But I'm talking about the the underside. Yeah. The underside of their foot is supposed to be like leather. But you can still feel the cold. They're through. not soft. They're not soft but pads. I, I know, but like leather. I mean, I don't know. I just. I imagine that if they are barefoot their entire lives and calloused that poorly, they basically don't have nerve endings on the bottom of their feet. Hmm. I guess. But then how do they know... It's like the whole bottom of their foot is a bunion or a callus. But how do they know that they step on something sharp if they don't have Because it pokes through the callus. All the way through. That sounds awful. Yeah. But even... We... It... We... Suspension of disbelief. We have to believe that hobbit feet are incredible things. I guess. I don't know. This week has been hard for suspension of disbelief. 
Yes. Just suspend your disbelief when it comes to hobbit feet. Hobbit feet are impervious to, to time and temperature. I get so wrapped up in the minutia. Like, I just, you know, whatever. Wizards and magic, cool. Elves, this whatever. This physical adaptation feet, to their environment, I can't accept. Hobbit feet or walking in the the mountains in the middle of January and not coming prepared. I'm just like, why? <sighs> I don't know. I'm getting upset about hobbit feet. I'm, you know, they were too. It's fine. <laughs> I just okay. Uh, this will be the death of the hobbits. Yes, I love Boromir. So yes, I love Boromir too. And this is one of those wonderful moments of humanity. How, how good. How kind-hearted Boromir can be. I know, especially because we just saw him playing around with Merry and Pippin. Yeah. The, um, um, and when he says that, it focuses on Merry and Pippin. Yes. Which I love. Yes. They uh, they go out of their way because of how Boromir ends up and the fact that he saves Merry and Pippin. They go out of their way to make sure that we understand that there is a kinship between Merry and Pippin and Boromir. Yeah. And they do their best to keep him separated from Frodo and Sam. Yeah. Except in scenes where like we need to see them interact to drive tension of his betrayal. Right. Which you'd think so like as close as Mary and Pippin and Frodo and Sam are, you you might think that that wouldn't necessarily work because Frodo and Sam would just be like, Can't trust that guy, Mary. Pip. Don't trust him. When have they He's ever a bad listened dude. to Frodo? I don't know. It comes in pints. I'm getting one. Please don't sell them my name. Oh, a Baggins. I know a Baggins. He's literally over there. He's my third cousin on my mother's side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he might have been drunk. Also, I think the... Maybe Mary and Pippin are always drunk. Yeah, they always got the munchies. Maybe, you know... <laughs> Maybe they're always high. Yeah. Well, I mean, they love their mushrooms. <laughs> um... I think that also comes from the book, though, because in this, they're all relatively the same age. Uh, Sam's a little older. Um, but in the book, Frodo and Sam are much older than Merry and Pippin. Yeah. Um, so Frodo and Sam are kind of are very wary of well at least Frodo is very wary of Boromir and Sam goes along with whatever Frodo says. Yes. And Merry and Pippin are not necessarily just here to have a good time, but they you know you know, they're still young mm. and rebellious and they are fascinated with the I think they're really enamored with Boromir yeah. because of you know, he's from a faraway land. He's the son of, like, you know, a king, basically. Like, not in title, but in, like, bearing. Yeah. Um, And I think <laughs> Boromir is also drawn to them because he reminds, he reminds him of uh, Faramir. Yeah. And I think Boromir is also drawn, because if, and I've said this before, like, if, if someone is very obviously like not into my company i'm not going to go out of my way to hang out with them like frodo yeah. is very obviously like very wary of boromir yeah 
Um, so if I was Boromir, I wouldn't want to go out of my way to cause tension. Right. And especially after the scene that we talked about last week uh, with the ring in the snow and he picks it up. Yeah. And then he ruffles Frodo's hair to dissolve the tension. Like, <laughs> Which know. is very, like, patronizing. Well, yeah, but he sees the hobbits as um, children. Yeah. Little men to be protected. Right. And Merry and Pippin pretty much act like children. Yeah. So, I don't know. I love Boromir. I, I think, because Merry and Pippin, like, Frodo and Sam have a mission. Yeah. And Merry and Pippin... Do not? Not they, yet. They don't really have a mission. They, they're still looking. Like, they're still, like, they're here, but they're not here. You know right. what I mean? Like, if, like if you want to talk about character arcs with Merry and Pippin... They, in this story, have yet to each reach basically, like, their threshold. Right, because at this point, they're just along for the ride. Yeah. Um, They care about Frodo, and yes, they volunteer, Um, but I don't really think... they. I don't think they fully... Uh, I would... Thinking about the whole, like, threshold thing, too, I think that really the only two characters in this movie that have their threshold... But three. The only three characters that have, like, a threshold in their character arc in this movie are Frodo and Sam and Gandalf. Yeah. Because Aragorn's isn't, I would argue that Aragorn's isn't even until Return of the King. Um, I don't know. I have to think about Aragorn's because Aragorn's story is like Frodo's story. Like very, uh, it stretches out over all three. Yeah. Um, but I think Aragorn's, at least in the movie, is when he lets Frodo go on his own. Hmm. Um, which we'll get to in many a fortnight. Um, <laughs> Man, this this minute has spawned some some lofty conversation. Well, <laughs> because we're talking about Boromir again, love, and Boromir spawns Bor- lofty conversation. Boromir, man. Um, but I think Aragorn's Aragorn's like threshold, like because at this point he's resistant to um his his destiny like his yeah. legacy and i think letting frodo go um he is stepping away from what is expected or wanted um by elrond um and aragorn knows that he has another purpose um, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, like he knows that his purpose is elsewhere. So his moment of kind of realizing that is when he lets Frodo go on his own, mm. I think. Yeah, I can. I I definitely see that. Like when I think about his character arc, I I kind of imagine his point of no return is like really dedicating himself to his destiny and what he's got to do is when he contacts Sauron through the Palantir. Mm. Because think... at that point, there is absolutely no turning back right. from Aragorn. It's like, I'm coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's very late in this story. Right. Um, but as far as like, like that first hurdle, yeah. like that first, like the, the thing that causes everything else to happen, like, mm. 
you know, Sam crossing the cornfield um, or Frodo deciding to carry the ring. Yeah. I think Aragorn's is when he decides that he's better served elsewhere and not as a ranger. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you see that. I don't really have a good thought of like where Legolas's and Gimli's are. I think their their character arc is entirely into towers, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's been a while. So Yeah. Man, uh, every time we talk about Boromir, we just get into in depth character stuff, well, which yeah, is great. Because Boromir is there's layers, man. He's like, you know, Boromir's like an onion. <laughs> you were about to say Boromir's like Shrek, weren't you? I, I was going to say like ogres are like Boromir's, but. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Okay. I mean, yes, that was a Shrek reference. <laughs> I'm a child of the 90s. I'm never going to get away from Shrek. Okay. Like... <laughs> You're not wrong. No one will ever get away from Shrek. It's just a completely embedded part of the internet now. I am a believer. Oh, oh boy. Oh, man. The gospel according to Smash Mouth. The gospel according to Shrek. I think I think that does us here. Oh, I, th God. I think we're done here. <laughs> We've gone too far. We dug too greedily. Too deep. <laughs> oh my god so we are from the website duelinggenre.com um, also on the website you can check out Back to the Future Minute and Harry Potter Minute um, and uh, thank you for listening and joining us on our silly adventure um, special thanks to our Patreon associate producers Leaper182 and Ed Foster I hope everyone has a good Wednesday we'll talk to you. bye bye